I'm really grateful for um, Steve and the team that uh, led us into worship. I have a, a very strong affection uh, for Steve and for this team that led worship, mainly because when Steve's here, I get a week off. <laughs> and I absolutely love that. You don't know how much that actually ministers to me uh, to get a week off. Um, before I was here at Summit, I led worship for 20 years. And uh, at the church I was at, I can count on one hand how many Sundays I got off in 20 years. So Steve, Autumn, uh, you guys are a blessing to me and my wife personally. It refreshes me. And I love uh, the blessing that you are. Uh, please, Steve, thank your wife for us, too. I know you drive uh, all the way out here from Bougie Dana Point uh, every week that you're out here. Dana Point. It's no Beaumont. I drive out from Beaumont. It's no Beaumont. But we accept all types of people from weird places in this church. Steve, uh, Autumn, um, Pastor Russ now. I love that expression of worship. Josh, you're a rock star on the drums uh, every week almost. Brandon, our sound tech, Greg, uh, back there helping us. Brandon's been serving uh, sound for many uh, years now. He's all grown up. He's going off to college, and we would love some hands and help on the sound. Um, there's no experience necessary. Uh, I don't need you to have any experience. I will personally take time to train you uh, thoroughly, so please sign up um, for that. Sign up to serve, really. Um, yes, uh, Celeste, did Elena get off to the airport okay? She's in the air right now, yeah. Elena, for those of you who don't know, Elena is continuing with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, uh, doing a Bible court. Is that the right term, Bible? Bible court um, for three months in Honolulu. She was there for six months and doing missions and travel, and she's continuing on for three months. And so we'll pray for her um, as she's in the air on her way right now. And, um, you know, when I prepare uh, to speak, uh, the week before, I'm thinking about it for a couple of weeks, but the week before, I kind of shut down and I just think about the topic. You know, I'm just, I'm just so engrossed in the topic, and it makes me a really passionate teacher but it makes me a really bad husband, and it makes me a really bad brother and a really bad son, because I'm not paying attention. Every time Natasha says to me, I'm like, my mind's somewhere else. Oh, what'd you say? You know, stuff like that. So all that to say, I'm also, I'm grateful for our, our teams, our sound, I'm grateful for my wife and my family, and there's a whole row of them back there. My sister and in-laws are back there. Even though I don't pay attention to this week, they still come and, and pray for me and support me in that way. Um, let's read two passages um, from scripture. We're going to read one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Two passages, one from the Old, one from the New Testament. The first one in the Old Testament is from Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. You can read that um, and follow along with me. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. By the way, this is God's speaking. God speaking. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Right? Now let's read from the New Testament, from Matthew 6, and I'll start in verse 20, and we'll go through verse 24. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in to steal it. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We worship you. We love you. We want more of you. Thank you for Pastor James and his family. Bless them in abundance as they take this weekend to celebrate, Lord. Refresh them. Let your presence go with Elena as she pursues ministry. Lord God, send your mercy and comfort, even to those that we heard about in Morocco who are in the aftermath of a tragic major earthquake. And Jesus, help us now as we sit at your feet to learn and to grow and to practice. And make me like this microphone, amplifying the truth of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So did you know uh, the number one subject that Jesus spoke on was the kingdom of God? The number one thing Jesus spoke on, he spoke most often, what he taught his disciples, what he told the crowds, he taught them and he was talking about the subject of the kingdom of God. You probably remember that Jesus would teach that the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seeds, right? Or he'd say the kingdom of God is like a king who plans a banquet. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net, and so on. He would often speak about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God means, does God rule and reign in your heart, in this place? And that was Jesus' number one subject, talking about the kingdom of God. And yeah... Rightfully so. Not just Jesus teaches that. Since he taught that, we teach that too. We teach that too in this church. God should be king of your heart, of your mind, of your body, and your spirit. Okay, so that's Jesus' number one subject, right? Number one topic, the kingdom of God. What do you think is Jesus' second most popular subject to preach on? Can anyone guess? We heard salvation. What else? Repentance. What was the second? Love, okay. Not quite. What was the second most uh, famous topic that Jesus would preach on? Money. Money. Can you say money? money. I'll say money, you know. <laughs> we like that word. We love that word. And that was the topic that Jesus preached on the most, out second only to the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is first, but very next to it, the second most popular subject was, the, was money. In fact, money is an enormous scripture, uh, enormous subject found in scripture. Did you know that there are around 500 verses in scripture on prayer? There are 500 verses of, uh, on prayer. There are 500 verses in the Bible on faith. Now get this. There are over 2,300 verses on money, wealth, and possessions. Wow. 500 on prayer, over 500 on faith, 2,300 verses on money, wealth, and possessions. That's nearly five times compared to uh, prayer or faith. That is a lot. That's more than two times 
if you combine prayer and faith. Actually, 15% of Jesus' teachings were on money. 15% of his teachings. Let's put that a bit into perspective, okay? Imagine that Pastor James, who speaks nearly every Sunday, he, that he gave a 60-minute sermon every week, all right? Imagine that. And now, if Pastor James' sermon was 60 minutes, we all know he goes over 60 minutes every week, right? <laughs> He's not here. It's okay. We can talk about it. <laughs> if you're online, Pastor, drop a, a comment to let you know that I burned you right now, all right? Um, but if Pastor's sermon was 60 minutes every week, about 10 of those 60 minutes every week would be focused on money. That's how often Jesus taught about money. And that's interesting because today, all of my time... I was assigned all of this time to talk about money, money. I was uh, in the cafe earlier, and Bill asked me, what are you speaking on? And I said, money. He said, yours or mine? Whose money are we talking about here? All right. But it's interesting that all of this um, time I've been given, when Pastor James texted me, he asked me if I would speak on this date about this subject. I thought, okay, we're going to team teach. He'll speak, and maybe Pastor Russ will speak, and maybe Henry will speak, and I'll speak, and maybe Vic and a few others um, that speak, they'll speak. And then I show up to our staff meeting, and I look at our preaching schedule, and I realize the only name that's there is mine. I'm the only sucker who agreed to teach on money out of all of them, all right? That's how you know I'm new around here. I'm, I'm really so young and so naive that I, I'm the only one who did that. And to make it even worse, I just found out, Pastor Russ told me that he was the one who volunteered me to do this without me even being present. All right? I'll get him back. If you have a... If you have a problem with today's message, you can email him at russellg at summerwaterflife.com. Email him, okay? So money is this big topic in scripture. But let's be real. Money is a hot topic for all of us. All of us talk about it. Because, you know, we want to grab those good deals on Prime Day, right? We want to grab, we want to know how much gas is or where the groceries are cheaper, what deals we get. Things are expensive. How much are we getting paid this month, this paycheck? How much are taxes going to be, my insurance? How much can I put into my retirement? We go on and on about money. What credit card has the best rewards, you know? But with Capital One, you know, you can do... We all want to know what are the rewards we're getting. Money is a hot topic for us to talk about, for us to think about. We talk about it, but we think about it even more. And you know, money is important to Jesus too. It's important to Jesus too. In fact, the passage from Matthew that I just read to you is part of Jesus' most taught sermon. It was the most taught sermon from him. From Matthew 5 to 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's also found in Luke chapter 6. That's the parallel passage there. The Sermon on the Mount was the sermon Jesus preached the most, his most taught sermon. So we already know, we're very aware, those of us who have walked with Christ for a long time, that Jesus is very much interested in your spiritual life. He is. He's interested in your connection with God. Jesus is very much interested in your social life. He's interested in your relationship to others and how you love others, right? right. And Jesus is very interested, 
He's interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your social life. He's interested in your economic life. He's very interested in your economic life, your relationship to money. Someone say economic life. Yeah, we say money, economic life. Weird things to repeat in church, right? But my relationship to economics, my relationship to money is a little unique, maybe a little unique compared to yours. And really, if I'm being honest, outside of me being taught the gospel, it's the study of money and, and the practice of biblical generosity that has transformed my life personally. How? Here's one example. So I grew up as an MK, all right? What's an MK? I'm not just saying MK, you know. MK is short for missionary kid, missionary kid. I was born into a family of ministers, and I'm the fourth generation of that. And as you can tell, I may not resemble your stereotypical American, right? My family is from India. My family's from India, and there's a row of them in the second back row that you'll see a bunch of Indians and one Ecuadorian. That's my brother-in-law who's right there, right? And on one of my childhood visits to India as a child, I remember attending a Bible chapel, a Bible school chapel, where my grandpa was speaking. He was speaking at the chapel, and he began to describe some of the struggles he had as a pastor's kid in India, okay? He shared that he and his brother would pray that God would provide to give them a pencil for them to write with before going to kindergarten, that's how he, he would pray. His parents would teach him to pray, God, would you give us a pencil to take to class, to take to kindergarten? Fast forward a generation, and miraculously and, and in great proportions, God provided so much that my grandparents were able to send my dad from India to university here in the U.S. Wow. That's wonderful. Yeah, my dad came uh, from India to Texas A&M, what is now Texas A&M. It wasn't called that in, in the 70s. He came in the 70s as a college student. And now if you think college tuition is expensive for you as a U.S. resident, it is exponentially more expensive for international students. Those, those are some serious heavy fees. And partway through, his, through my dad's degree at uh, A&M, he went back to marry my mom, and then they came back uh, together uh, when they could and returned to Texas. And in his time at A&M, my dad led many of his uh, fellow students to Christ. And he, uh, and he led many, uh, most of the athletes in his class to Christ. Some of them went on to play in the NFL and NBA. And while all this is happening, God prompted someone who knew my dad, God prompted someone in Texas to give to my dad. This person told my dad that they wanted to sponsor his full education to come to Fuller Seminary in Pasadena and go to seminary. So my parents moved from Texas. When somebody makes that offer and says they, re- they recognize the call on your life, he moved from Texas over here, just over here to Pasadena. He went to seminary, and my dad served, and he preached in churches all over California. He, w- he served, you know, did interns as janitors and preaching and doing Bible studies. He hustled his own way as well. He started a family, and uh, many years later, I was born, and uh, my sisters, and, and he started a missions organization to India. And now my dad, will, my dad travels extensively to serve the mission's work all over India and really around the world. Now, why am I telling you all this? See, the reason that you and I actually know each other, 
the reason why we interact with each other and see each other on Sundays and Wednesdays and other days is all because of one person's generosity. It's all because of the, the reason why I'm speaking here in front of you today is because before I was even born, before I was a thought, someone brought their offering. I lead worship here at Summit Water of Life in Fontana, California, because of someone's tithe a generation ago. I grew up as an MK, and now I work full-time in a missions organization. So what does that mean? It means ultimately everything that I possess is ultimately because of someone else's generosity. It's because of someone else's offering. You know, and that has a way of how you treat money and how you treat economics and your own economy. It's all because of someone's tithe. Tithe, now there's a word. Some people don't like that word, tithe. You don't want to repeat it if I said someone's, you know. <laughs> they don't like when the preacher throws around that word, right? What does the word tithe mean? The word tithe, exactly. The word tithe means one-tenth. As in, bring one-tenth or 10% of what you have to God. Bring one-tenth or 10%. That's what the word tithe means. You know, one of the first arguments against tithe or first objections to tithing is this. Some will say, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament law. It's not a New Testament command. And I agree with you. I agree with you. Actually, I'll do you one better. I'm bold enough to stand here and say to you that tithing is not an Old Testament or New Testament principle. It's not. The principle of giving doesn't fall under old law or doesn't fall under new grace. It doesn't fall under the law Moses gave. It doesn't fall under the New Testament way of life. Tithing supersedes the old law and the New Testament. Tithing is actually a universal principle of giving. It comes before the law. What do I mean by that? It's a universal principle of giving. Because there are some people, you know some people who will put, they'll pit the Old Testament against the New Testament. They're different. They're, they're separate. They'll say, no, that's Old Testament. I don't need to do that. I'll do what the New Testament says. When the Old and New Testament are not opposites, they're not against each other. They're very closely intertwined. They work together. Old Testament and New Testament work together. But tithing isn't an Old Testament law, nor is it a New Testament law. Tithing is biblical. Tithing is biblical. It's a universal principle. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, both of these things, come under the umbrella of the principle of giving. Because the principle of giving came first. It came first. In Genesis 14... And I don't have a slide for that, uh, Greg, don't worry about that. In Genesis 14, long before Moses, long before any law, this is way before Exodus, way before Leviticus, way before Deuteronomy, where you read of the law, we read about a person named Abraham who met another strange person named Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest and a king. And Abraham uh, gives Melchizedek one-tenth, he gives a tithe of all he had. And that's one of the first places that you read about a tithe. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and so Abraham said, I'm going to give a tenth, 10% of all that I have. That's in Genesis 14. Then in Genesis 28, we see Jacob. 
who's Abraham's grandson, who was in this place called Bethel. Not the Bethel up in Redding, California. This is uh, a place in the Bible. And he is in this place, and he has a vision. He has a dream, he has a vision, he, and he, after coming out of this vision, he builds a pillar or an altar, and he says, I'm going to make this a temple, and I'm going to give God a tithe or a tenth of everything I have. Again, this is long before Moses. This is long before Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. So a tithe is not just a, an idea that came out of the old law. This, a tithe isn't even a New Testament concept. Tithe is a universal principle of giving that was established by really this intuitive sense of gratitude to God and then was later adapted into the law. It was adapted and it continued after that. It was this intuitive sense of gratitude. All right. Have I upset anybody yet? We're talking about money. Teaching on tithe and giving and money and possessions and wealth. Um, good. I'm glad you say that because there's still time for me to upset you, all right? <laughs> Because though the word tithe means one-tenth or 10%, you know, the people of God, the children of Israel, were giving closer, much more than that. They were giving closer to 30%. 30%. Here we go. There were actually three tithes that the children of Israel practiced. The first is what we all know. The first was 10% would go towards the work of the temple. Or, and the priests and the Levites, the Levitical tithe, the tithe that goes to the temple or the church, if you will. All right. The second, an additional portion would go toward the festivals. I call it the party tithe. The whole believing community, they would res, uh, observe a regular religious celebrations. We all do this. You know, we do something similar when we go out celebrating together. We'll split the meal. We'll split the hotel. We'll split the Airbnb when we all go out. We all do that. Festival tithe was a second tithe, this, this community of people saying, we have reason to celebrate, and we're all going to pitch in and do this. Then there was a third tithe. Every three years, they would give in great proportions to the poor. They would give to the poor every three years. Now, who was considered poor? Those who couldn't fend for themselves. We have to remember that in, in those times, women, widows, Children, lepers, those who were sick, those who were diseased, foreigners and refugees, they had no rights. They weren't permitted to work. They weren't. So every three years, a third tithe was given to provide for those people who couldn't work. That was God's way of providing for the outcast and for the marginalized, for the forgotten people. So we have one, two, three tithes that came closer to 30% of a person's income, okay? The word tithe means 10%, but in practice, God's people gave much more. They gave closer to 30%. God says, in what we read, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse. The instruction from God is, bring, is to bring your tithe to the temple, to the church. You know, the average church in America today only 10% of people give their tithes. 10% of people tithe in an average church. So if you had a church of 100 people, maybe 10 of those uh, families or 10 of those uh, you know, groups of people would actually be tithing, while 90% of them don't. They don't contribute to the work of the church. But I'm pleased to tell you that Summit is different. 
Summit is far above average. 45 to 50% of our church, church tithes. That is four to five times above the nation's average. And that is wonderful. That is wonderful. We should celebrate that. And by the way, for those of you wondering, the highest tithing church in America is Gateway Church, who this is a series we're doing, Robert Morris's church. They're at 70%. So we're not that far from the highest church in America. Okay? All that to say, we're not doing this series because Summit needs your money. We're not doing this series because you have to give to, we know our church is a giving church and we're grateful for that. We're not doing this series because I need a raise. This is my appeal to you. We're not <laughs> doing that series. By the way, if you ever get a text from me or a message on social media that I need money or the church needs your money, you're probably getting scammed, okay, just so you know. We aren't teaching this subject because we need money or because we need your charity, right? By the way, tithing is not charity. Tithing is not charity. Now, the IRS may uh, treat your tithe like a charity, like a charitable donation, but biblical tithing is not charity. Charity is when the rich give to the poor. Charity is when the rich give to the poor, or it's when those who have much give to those who, that, uh, that are without, right? That's charity. And don't get me wrong, we all should participate in charity, but tithing is not the same thing as charity. Because when Abraham brought his tithe to Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, does a king and a priest need Abraham's money? Abraham was the one with less in that scenario. Abraham gave his tithe to the king and priest. It was really out of honor. The, the king and priest Melchizedek blessed him, and it was really out of honor, out of gratitude, out of respect to give to the honorable one that Abraham gave it. Charity is the rich giving to the poor, but tithe is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of that. Tithe is what you bring to God. Tithe is what the blessed bring to the blesser. Tithe is what you bring to God's bride, to God's beloved, to God's greatest treasure. Tithe is what you bring to the church. See if I won't bless you. Watch and see if I won't bless you. See if I won't open the floodgates is what God says. You know, it's interesting. Both this Old Testament passage in Malachi and the New Testament passage in Matthew uh, that we read today, God starts talking about your eyesight, what you see. He starts talking about your sight. In Matthew, it's actually maybe a little confusing. It's a, it's a little like, whoa, where did this come from? It's almost like Jesus switches subjects all of a sudden. He's talking about your treasure, where your treasure is there, how be also. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about your eyes, your eyes. In Matthew 6, in verse 22, I'll read that again for you. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What, what does this have to do with what you were just talking about, Jesus? It seems like Jesus just flips subjects on us, but he didn't. He's warning us. Jesus is warning us. Jesus is saying, watch out because money because treasure, because possessions, they have a sneaky way of blinding you. 
they have a very sneaky way of blinding you. Watch out for greed. It's a sneaky sin. It's not so obvious. You can't see greed creep in. Greed will hide itself. It'll mask itself. You know, other sins are really quite more obvious, right? You know if you murdered somebody. You'll know if you murdered somebody. You know if you stole something from someone. Jesus never had to said, never had to say, you know, watch out for adultery. You know if you're committing adultery, right? No one's ever been in bed and said, oh, you're not my wife. You know, no, that's, that hasn't happened. You know, you know if you're committing adultery. But greed is much trickier. Greed is much sneakier. Greed has a way of darkening even the Christian's eyesight. Even the Christian's eyesight can be darkened by greed. No one sees themselves as greedy. Nobody does. People will admit that, Pastor, I struggle with anger. I'm very aggressive. Or, Pastor, I'm struggling and I'm, I'm struggling with the sin of lust. Or, I, it's really hard for me to forgive this person. I, I'm struggling with this. Or, I'm talking too much. I, I don't know why the gossip just comes out. I should keep it to myself. But nobody will say I'm greedy. Nobody will say. Because we think, oh, only the rich are greedy. Only the rich are greedy, right? Not, not me. I'm not greedy. But Jesus is testing, and he's warning you about the quality of your eyes. He's testing the quality of your eyes. He knows, Christ knows, that the more you look at money, the more it'll distort your decision-making. He knows that the more you look at money, the more it'll affect how you treat somebody else. The more you look at money, the more our character becomes altered and perverted. I know this is true. I do. I know this is true. How do I know? Because many people, and I've talked to people like this, many people decide to take a job based on how much it pays. They decide to take a job based on how much it pays instead of seeing in what ways will the job bring you fulfillment? In what way will it bring you purpose? How will this job, how will this work bring you joy? But they often take a job because of how much it pays. Some people will make their decision on who to marry based on how much money that other person has, right? And if it's not based on, at least it's a factor. We all have thought, can this person take care of me? Can I take care of them? That's a factor that we think about. Money has a way of influencing our decisions and, and influencing how we treat somebody, how we treat potential spouses, right? And many people have lost potential spouses because of this distorted way of thinking, Others may look at the poor and they will treat them as less than people. Treat them as less. You're less than me. You're not as good as me. As if, you know, my situation would be any different if I had the same parents they had or if I went through the layoff or if I was addicted or I had the same struggles. I treat them as less. Or maybe you're a person who really admires the rich. You admire them. You say, wow, look, that's beautiful. Look how lavish and lovely and, and rich and all the things that they can enjoy. I need to post right now how bougie I'm being right in front of this uh, space, in front of this house or, or in, at this restaurant. I need to post that. I wish I could live like this all the time. People need to know how I live. And you admire the rich. Or maybe you're on the other side of it and you envy the rich and you just think, it's so sick how filthy rich people are. It's sickening how much money they have. Either way, the money aspect has a direct effect on how you look at people. 
if you admire the rich or you envy the rich, if you look at the poor in a certain way, in a downward way, it affects how you treat others. You know, and this is probably the biggest reason why Pastor James, he doesn't look at the names of those who tithe at Summit. He doesn't look. Because he understands what Jesus is warning in this passage. He understands that looking at the names and the numbers attached and how much people give, that it has the potential to distort how he looks at people. It does. It may affect how he treats different individuals. He knows that it has potential to change who and how he shepherds and who he ministers to. And that's not right. That's not right. He understands that. And that's what Jesus is warning about here. That's what he's teaching. See, Jesus knows that our heart is very much tied to money. Our heart is very much tied to how we even see money, even if it's not money that we have. You remember when guys and these dudes would have a chain from their wallet to their belt? Some of you probably did that. You, know? you, have, your, you have a chain running from your wallet, uh, from their wallet to their belt. And if you, try to, if you try to snatch this person's wallet, this person is coming with you because they're attached, right? You can't get away from them. And that's exactly what God knows about us. Instead, but except instead of our wallet being attached to our pants, it's attached to our heart. Our treasure is attached to our heart. God knows that your heart is tied to your treasure. He knows that. And it's like when you forget your wallet, or, you, or maybe you forgot your purse somewhere, does your wallet follow you where you go? No, you will call, and you will find, call to find out where it is, where you've left it, and then you go after it. You go after where you left your purse. You go after your treasure. You will follow your treasure. And everyone has at least one thing that they treasure. What do you treasure? What do you chase after? What are you chasing after? What are you pursuing? See, look, God is testing you in this. He's testing your heart. He's testing what do you really love here? He's testing even your salvation. Who has saved you, money or God? Who has more power over you, money, finances, or Christ? Where does your significance lie? Is it in money? I feel significant because I have a lot of it. Or is it in Christ because I have a lot of him? Where is your security? Where do you feel secure? Do you feel secure when the banks are doing well and the stocks are up? you feel secure in your intelligence because I can go and get any job that I want? I, I'm very accomplished. Are you, are you feel your security is in your health? I'm strong. I can work hard. Or is your security in Christ's saving grace? Has your life been utterly and radically changed by money or by his power? He's testing you. He wants to know. He wants to see. He wants to see the evidence of it. And a sign that money is not the answer to that test, a sign that money has no power over you, is that you become very generous. You suddenly become very generous. That scripture we read says, the eye of the body is a lamp. 
The eye of the body is the land. If your eyes are good, if it's bright and you see, it's really interesting here because if your eyes are good, in the original language that's used for the word good here, that specific word has a double meaning, has two meanings. It can mean good, which is what we read in English, or it can mean generous. It can mean generous. If your eyes are generous, if you have healthy eyes that see in abundance, right? If you have fresh new, if, you, if a person's eyes have been born again, if you are a new creation, see, if a Christian has really been freed from sin and from darkness, if they've really been freed from money by finding Jesus as their treasure, your eyes are always looking for opportunities. Your eyes are looking and seeing opportunities. You're looking at your friends. You're looking at your neighbors. You're looking at your church. You're looking at the poor. You're looking at your city, and you're always looking for ways to give away, to give. So how much, right? That's the next question. How much do you give away? Santosh, are you saying that I have to give 10%? No. Are you saying (laughs) that I need to give 30%? No. The only way to know how much you should give is to look at what Jesus did. When Jesus treasured you, and he treasures you, he treasured you sacrificially. He treasured you sacrificially. See, if you really want to respond to what Jesus has done for you, if you really want to sing that song, what he's done, what he's done, That means I not only have to respond to Jesus in my relationships and how I treat others, it it means more than that. It means I also have to respond to him in my economics. Follow me here. See, most of us agree that if Jesus died for me in my sin, then I have to respond by loving others as he loved me, right? Would you agree with that? Jesus died for me and, and he loves me, I should also love others, okay? If he forgave me, which he did, if he's forgiven me, I have to forgive others, even when it's hard, right? We agree to that. We love that part of, of scripture. He died for my sin, so I should sin no more. I should die to my sin. I need to sacrifice my sin, put it on the altar. I need to sacrifice getting drunk, and I need to put that on the, on the altar. I need to sacrifice maybe the content that I watch, maybe some of the music I listen to, maybe the places I shop. Fine, good. Then that also means that I have to give in a way that resembles the sacrifice Jesus made to See, if giving isn't sacrificial, if the way I give doesn't change the way I live, then there's no cross in my economic life. I've removed the cross from that part of my life. There has to be a change, and there has to be a notable change. See, if I'm not giving in a way that doesn't change me, then there's no cross. And I'm really not responding to what Jesus has done for me. Not radically, not pervasively. I haven't responded. I haven't really responded. So I still haven't answered the question, how much should you give? So for most of us, the tithe is the goal, right? The tithe is the goal because the Bible says so. And because that's a good, that's a nice round figure to think about. It's easy to calculate. It's a good way to tell if the gospel is working in my heart. The tithe is a good way to tell. Because if the gospel is really working in my heart, if I really understand the gospel and I understand what Jesus has done for me, 
10% doesn't seem like much in comparison to what Christ has done for me. 10% doesn't seem like much. And increasingly in America, there are rich people. There are a lot of people where 10% won't make a dent in how they live. It won't change how they live. Multi-millionaires giving 10% won't change how they, how they live. But for a lot of us who aren't multi-millionaires, 10% will be a sacrifice. It will be. And I understand that. It'll be a, a sacrifice. It might change how we live. And that's a good thing. You see, 10% is not the point. 10%, when the Bible tells me that I should be giving away, 10% is just really a rule of thumb. It's a helping round figure. It's a good starting point. The cross is the standard. The cross is the standard. 10% is just a rule of thumb, but the cross is the standard. 10% is just an example for most of us because the cross is our prime example. Is there a cross in the very center of my life, in the very center of my values, in my, even in my economic life? Has the cross radically changed me from the inside out and the outside in? Every part of me, has it changed me? See, if Jesus is your treasure, you'll love the rich. If Jesus is your treasure, you'll love the poor. You'll love yourself. You'll love your enemy. You'll love your church. And you'll be giving your money away joyfully if Jesus is your treasure. You'll be giving away your money deliberately, happily, hilariously. <laughs> Tithing is a test of how much you've allowed the power of the cross of Christ to transform you. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test for you. And still God says, test me in this. Test me in this. God doesn't need charity. God doesn't need money. God is testing your heart. God is testing. He's doing a heart check. Who do you serve? Yourself? Money? God is, is, is giving you a test. It's a giving test that reflects how radically made new you are in Christ. How much God has changed you. God wants you wholly and completely to be his. You want more of God? He wants more of you. He wants more of you. You know, we sang today beautiful songs. Uh, I'll bring you more than a song. You know, I'll give you the heart, my heart and worship. I'll give you all my worship. But some of us will say, I won't bring you a tithe. Lord, I surrender all except for my money. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's a quality test of how much you love God. It's a test of the quality of your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll share a story with you. Autumn and Steve, would you come up and play softly? Um, this will be the last thing I share with you, and we'll wrap up here. You know, this is a, a, a peculiar month for me to be speaking on money. Um, Natasha and I, we only have one car right now. We've actually only had one car for two years. I never replaced mine after these crazy Fontana winds dropped a tree on my car and wrecked it, totaled it. Um, so we've been sharing one car for two years. And sometimes, you know, I'll have to drop her off in the morning and then come back work from home if I, if I need the car. And we, we work it out. Last month, we paid off Natasha's car, and that was really good. So I've been thinking, 
you know, like a famous rapper once said, I got my mind on my money, my money on my mind. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I got these, I got this money. Maybe we can go to the dealership and, and we're saving some. We'll go look at a car, right? So we go look at the car, we go look at the dish right, right over here, which are actually at Rock Honda. And um, after two years, I'm not having my own car. I'm kind of excited. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm really excited until you see the prices, right? <laughs> Cars are still expensive. I mean, they've always been expensive, but they're even, you know, the price gouging. So we decided that day, you know what, we need to wait. We need to wait. We'll try and manage with one car for a bit more. We've done it for a while. We can do it for a bit more. We'll try to wait. We'll try to save some money. So a few days for him, but that was on the 1st. Uh, September 1st, we went over there. We thought Labor Day weekend, we're going to get a strike a deal. <laughs> it didn't happen. All right. So a few uh, days went by, and I was reminded in a conversation that Elena was headed back to YWAM for three months. All right. And because of my missions background that I shared with you, I have a burden. I have a burden for those pursuing ministry. And I wanted, in my heart, I wanted to give her, um, give toward her trip. Right. I wanted to do that. But honestly, I, I, in our staff meeting, I remembered that. And then I forgot about her the rest of the day, to be honest. So on Wednesday, I wake up. This is just this past week, by the way. And Wednesday, I wake up before my alarm, which I hate. And I'm just <laughs> laying there in bed and just thinking, you know, my eyes are open. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wanted to give towards Elena's trip. I didn't even have time to discuss it with Natasha. And she's sleeping next to me and, you know, I'm not dumb enough to wake up my wife before her alarm. <laughs> We're two years married now. I'm a little smarter than, I got an amen over here. Right? I'm a little smarter than that. So I reach uh, for my phone on the nightstand, and I get on Summit's website uh, to give. Now, I'm more a, of a create a spreadsheet and figure this out, uh, figure my money's out sort of guy. Even my uh, in-laws call me the Google Doc expert because anything you need, I'll put it in a spreadsheet. I'll put it in a, in a doc. But I'm just laying in bed. I don't, have to, I don't want to get up. I'm too comfy, I, and I was trying to fall back asleep anyway, so I'm laying in bed on my phone quickly thinking, how much do, how much do I feel I want to give? And I think to myself, maybe I can give toward her for 250 bucks, you know, one time just for this trip. And then the thought enters my mind. Please don't misunderstand me I, I'm, uh, that I'm bragging or I'm trying to tell you I'm rich. I, we are not by any means. But I, for the sake of this, I wanted to share with you, this with you. And I think two, 250, that's a, that's a, that would be really wonderful if I could do that, right? That's what my heart wants to do. I don't know if my bank can do it, right? Maybe I can give 250. And then the thought enters my mind. Give a little more, but spread it across the three months that she's out. Spread it across. And at this moment, again, I don't know. It's just something I want to do, but I don't know if I can. At moments landing in bed, I don't know if I can pull it off. All I knew is that it would be really nice if I could be able to give her that gift. But within a few minutes, my mind and my heart, they go into this battle. The logistics of it all start to creep into my sight. We got bills. We got a mortgage. I don't even have a car right now. And we have student loans starting back up. Maybe I should email Celeste, uh, Celeste and find out if Elena raised all her money so then I don't have to <laughs> contribute. Right? This, is all, this is fast. It, you know how it goes. It goes very quickly in your head. But I also knew the burden God placed on my heart to support and to give to those who pursue ministry. 
I knew that God had impressed something on my heart. So before I got out of bed and before I would change my mind, I made the decision that we'll give 120 each month for the next three months. Right, so I, punch, I get on my phone, I punch in the recurring gift on Summit's website, and I, God bless it, amen, it's done, you know. I get out of bed, I get some things done, I don't think about it. Natasha wakes up, and we grab the leash, we grab the dog, let's go for a morning walk. On our way back in, you know, we think, oh, we, we walk by our community, you know, we have this mailbox, everybody has a box and a key, we'll just check the mail on the way back in, and... Um, and that sort of thing. So check the mail, and I open it up, I look through all this junk mail. Oh, my paycheck's in the mail. Okay. You know, we're a small missions organization. We don't have fancy direct deposit. We're just a small staff. And so our paycheck gets mailed to us. So we come around the block again from the mailbox and get in the house and set things down. I rip open uh, the envelope, and I notice something different about the check. The amount was different. It's $200 more than what it should be. Turns out I have an increase in my salary of $200 a month. Wow. $200, not just for three months, for every month. Wow. Right? I told Mat- Natasha, you won't believe how funny God is. <laughs> and I immediately cried when I told her that. You know, sometimes you think you're making a big sacrifice. Or sometimes you think you're helping someone by giving them a gift for three months. And then God makes it very clear that he doesn't need your charity. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need a percentage. What he wants more than anything, what he treasures more than anything, what he died for is you. Is you. God wants you to give because his love on that cross transformed your heart in every single part of your life. He's given you a new birth. He's given you a new heart. You're a new creation with a new vision and even a new nature toward everything, including giving. The question is, would you acknowledge him as king? Would you acknowledge his kingdom as number one in every single area of your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for treasuring us so much that you sacrificed your son. The power of your cross has radically changed us. Thank you so much that we can participate in the test and in the practice of giving, in the practice of our new nature, who we are now in Christ. Lord, do your work in us. Make us generous, make us loving, make us forgiving, make us deliberate, make us new, make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you need prayer or you want to share with someone what God is doing, what God is working on with you, I'm going to invite our prayer team uh, who is available to listen and to pray with you. We love you. Come forward if you need prayer or God bless you. And have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.